Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. Well, hello and welcome to week six in our challenge, We Can Overcome, which is all about spiritual warfare. Today, I've got the pleasure of interviewing John Attia, who is going to be speaking to us today on a topic which he's titled Deliverance 101. So we're going to the fundamentals of spiritual deliverance, um, a rather specific topic, a rather nuanced niche topic, wouldn't you say? Why have you decided to go with that? Well, it's interesting you say that, Theo, because I think, like a lot of us, uh, I think we um, have our ideas about what deliverance is, mainly from the sensationalized representations in movies. Um, And um, when you actually look at the gospel, there are quite a few episodes where Jesus casts out demons. And yet we almost never talk about that uh, Mm. these days. How do we make sense of those episodes Mm. in in our time and day? Um, And I think if you look back when Jesus sent out the 12 disciples and he sent out the 72, the job that he gives them, he says, teach, preach, heal, and cast out demons. Mm -hmm. So it was an essential part of the ministry. Mm. And yet we seem to forget that last little bit. So I guess I... I've, this is not something I've had much experience with firsthand. Um, and I guess I wanted to just figure out what is the basic level of knowledge that every Christian should have about this area? How do we make sense of those phenomena um, in our time and day um, to, to equip us? Um, because this is meant to be something that even basic Christians who were working with Jesus knew about and understood. Mm. And as you say, there's lots of stories in the Bible where demons are cast out, but why do you think we don't see that these days very much, Yeah, if at all? So I think a lot of it has to do with the mindset that we have. I think ever since the Enlightenment, we have this Western scientific mindset that explains the world with um, purely physical explanations or with science. Uh, And psychology tells us that if we don't have a representation in our mindset for what we expect to see, we don't see it, we don't recognize it. Hmm. There's this classic experiment in psychology from the 1990s where a psychologist showed a number of volunteers this video with a, a white team and a black team throwing basketballs around. And he said to them, I want you to keep close count of how many passes the white team makes. And the volunteers were so focused on counting the number of passes that the majority didn't see this person in a gorilla suit cross the frame, do a little dance, (laughs) thump on his chest and walk out. They completely missed it. They just didn't recognize it because their mindset wasn't wasn't, um, tuned to that. And so I think a lot of the time we fall into the same uh, problem. Our Western mindset doesn't make allowance for spiritual phenomena, and so we don't recognize it, Mm. uh, even when it's there in front of us blatantly. Mm -hmm. Um, C.S. Lewis has this classic quote about the spiritual world. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about demons. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Mm -hmm. And the demons uh, are equally pleased with both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. 
So, you know, perhaps we think, we look back to the people in Jesus' time and think they saw demons everywhere, but we fall into the trap of seeing demons nowhere. Mm -hmm. um, and both of them are, are not a healthy spiritual view uh, of the world. Mm -hmm. So if the framework that we have at the moment is, is not setting us up well to, to see things with spiritual clarity, what framework do we need? So the framework, I think, is given to us by Paul in Ephesians 2. Um, he says there, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And this is the bit I, I want to highlight. All of us lived among them at one time. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. So really what Paul is saying there is that um, before we came to Christ, we were under the influence of the devil. There, there was no middle ground. We were either under the influence of the devil or under the influence of God. Um, there is no middle ground uh, there. And I, I guess I, I think of it almost like a team, uh, a soccer team. You're either on one side or on the other, team dark or team light. Right. Um, and there's no neutral ground. And this makes sense um, of something that had puzzled me for a long time. So I don't know if you uh, noticed in, in Mark 9, Jesus says, whoever is not against us is for us. Mm. And yet in Matthew 12, he says, whoever is not with us is against us. And I always wondered, how can those two statements not be contradictory? Mm -hmm. Like if, if everything that Jesus says is true, mm. how can those two not conflict? Because if you have the two teams on the field, mm. it's possible that if you're not on one team or the other, you're on the sidelines, you're in the stands, you're on the grass, yeah, you're, you're outside the state. <laughs> So there's lots of other um, possibilities, but the if you apply the, the rules of formal logic, the only way those two statements can be true at the same time is if there is nobody else outside the teams. Mm -hmm. You're either on one team or the other. There's nobody in the stands, nobody sitting on the grass, nobody outside the stadium. So what this is saying, this spiritual warfare is something that we are all engaged in. Um, and we're either on one team or the other, but there's no neutral ground. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is not a sports game. This is a war. Mm -hmm. And unlike the Second World War, where there was a Switzerland, there is no Switzerland in the spiritual world. Mm -hmm. There is no neutral ground. Whether mm -hmm. we like it or not, we are caught up either on one team uh, or on the other. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you, 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 you have spoken then about us being under the influence of the devil. Are you implying that that everyone who is not on on team jesus is is demon possessed uh can christians can christians fall into that to that camp or would you say christians can be demon possessed or or um are we talking like a demon demonic oppression or can you clarify what yes. what you mean so i think it, it's safe to say that if, if people think they are free of any influence they are deluding themselves. Mm -hmm. we're, we're either under the influence of God or the influence of the devil. The, the, we have, we're not free of those. We can't opt out, uh, so to speak. But I think the words demon possession, demon oppression, are, are probably not helpful in understanding this. Okay. That translation, demon possession, is actually from the King James, and I think it's affected how the translations ever since then have, have come through. If you look at the Greek word, it's demonizomai, which literally means under the influence of demons. Mm. 
And you can think of that influence being on a spectrum from being completely influenced to having virtually no influence. Mm. If we take the framework that uh, was present in the Greek world and that Paul picks up on in his letters, we've, we understand ourselves as body, soul, and spirit. And if our spirit is the innermost part of us that drives what happens in our mind and in our body, that's a powerful thing. When we are Christians and the Holy Spirit lives in our spirit, mm. that's a powerful place for God to influence what happens in our mind and in our body. Mm-hmm. Now, where the Holy Spirit is, demons can't stand to live. So it's fair to say that demons can't uh, reside, if you want to put it that way, in our spirit. Mm. But they can still attack our mind and still attack our body. Mm-hmm. But because the Holy Spirit is in us, it makes us less susceptible to, to that influence. Mm. The flip side then is if we're not Christians and, and we don't have the Holy Spirit um, in our spirit, mm. as we said, you're either on one team or the other. You, you can't pretend that you're not influenced. All right. That would then mean that demonic influences can have much more say in our spirits. And if that happens, then they have much more power to influence then our, our soul and our body. Um, and so I think you can imagine, you can understand that spectrum of activity from somebody who has um, d- is demonically influenced from their spirit right through to their soul and body, to somebody who is strong in the Holy Spirit and a mature Christian who can resist those influences much more. And thinking of that spectrum like that, I think, is more helpful than using um, that old terminology of demon possession or demon oppression. So are there there things that we can do which make us more susceptible to demonic influences? Yeah, so this is where the idea of footholds comes Mm -hmm. in. So Paul in Ephesians 4 says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. I think what Paul is saying here is that basically any sin can be an opportunity for demonic influence, can be a door that Mm -hmm. is open to demonic influence. Mm -hmm. Now, When he says, don't let the sun go down, I think he's saying, you know, if you realize that you've sinned, be quick to repent uh, and to um, confess. Mm. Um, Because I think the longer you hang on to that sin, the longer you nurse it or feel you have a right to it or um, carry it with you, Mm. the greater it is an open door Mm. for more demonic influence uh, to come in. Okay. And if we look at the the original Greek word for foothold, it's topos, uh, from which we get the the modern words topography or topology. It basically means a place. And it's it's, uh, an opportunity, a seat, or a place which a person occupies or has a right to. So what Paul is saying is that when we sin and we nurse that and hang on to it, we are basically giving place for demonic influence to to grab hold and once you have a full hold like like you do in the image here it means they're in a better place to then influence uh further mm-hmm. um and although any sin can do that um but not ev- necessarily every sin does there seems to be particular sins that um, particularly open the door to demonic influence so people who are well-practiced in this area and have a real ministry in this area see that unforgiveness in particular is a particular door for this. Uh, Bitterness, anger, resentment, 
control. So if, if you've sought to control others or you've been the subject of a controlling or dominating personality, mm-hmm. um, abuse of any kind, sexual, physical mm. uh, abuse, if you've been involved in the occult, mm. um, you know, consulted fortune tellers, Ouija boards, uh, tarot cards, all those sorts of things right through to uh, participating in witchcraft. Uh, pornography is a particularly powerful door uh, to, to demonic influences. Um, generational, generational curses are also in there. And I think that um, is probably something that we should pick up more on as Christians, that you, you have sometimes family histories in which multiple people in each generation for three or four or five generations have been afflicted by the same thing. Like sometimes you'll see suicide mm. um, in, a, in a family in every generation or mm. uh, adultery. Um, and that should be a trigger that maybe there's something sp- deeply spiritual mm. uh, here. And sexual sins in particular can also uh, open the door. Mm. But the, the general principle is any sin can open that door, but particularly the longer we hang on to that or don't confess it or don't repent of it, the greater that, that door becomes to mm. the demonic influence. So what do we do to get free from these demonic influences? I mean, is this a case of everyone needs to have an exorcism performed <laughs> on them or or is it a, a more subtle healing? Is it a, a just a deliverance situation or what do we do? <laughs> yeah. So this is where I think a bit of terminology helps us um, clarify how to approach this. Okay. So deliverance is a general kind of umbrella term yeah. uh, that means freeing a person from the effects of sin and evil. Mm-hmm. So we can think of salvation as uh, freeing us from the power of sin and evil. And deliverance is freeing us from the effects of that mm-hmm. sin or evil. Probably the most helpful image I've come across in, in reading about this is the idea of rats and garbage. Uh, so Charles Kraft, who, who has a ministry in this area, talks about demons as um, kind of spiritual rats that feed on the garbage of our lives. The garbage is kind of all the emotional uh, baggage and trauma and hurts and bitterness uh, that we carry around from our experiences in life. Mm. Um, and that, again, is the kind of door that then leads to the rats coming in, mm-hmm. which are the, 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 the demonic influences. Mm. If you remember in the last uh, series, we talked about the world, the flesh, and the devil as the three main uh, sources of evil. And so when there are hurts in our lives, it can be because the circumstances uh, have worked out such that we've been injured in some way or traumatized in some way. Mm-hmm. It could be because of the choices we've made uh, in our lives and mm. we're reaping the bad consequences of that. Mm. But that that baggage um, is the garbage that Charles Kraft talks about. And inner healing is the process by which we can, um, with somebody that is experienced in this ministry, pray through that mm. and to have Jesus break that hold and that consequence of evil and sin in how it's shaped our thinking, shaped our heart, shaped, shaped the kind of mental scripts that go on in our heads mm. um, and and start to change that. Mm. And some of it will be effort, but some of it um, is, is through prayer and mm. inviting Jesus into that time. Mm. Now, that may then sometimes lead to... Um, uh, 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 exorcism being cast out, being uh, ex- um, carried out, mm. uh, or it may not, maybe simply inner healing. Mm. So you can think of inner healing 
as sweeping the garbage clean mm. and exorcism as exterminating the rats. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes there's one alone, sometimes there's one and the other together. Mm. Okay, well, I mean, the idea of inner healing and prayer, I mean, that sounds okay, but um, exorcism does sound a little bit scary, certainly from the movie. I haven't seen The Exorcist, but... Uh, I've seen other other scary films with, with with exorcism in them. I mean, is this something that we should be unnerved about or wary of? What do you think? No. So this is where I think if we have a true spiritual understanding, it is not something that should be scary. It okay. should be something that is really freeing. Mm-hmm. So, again, let's go through how should we understand exorcism. And the pattern that we see in the Gospels, So you remember in the last series, we talked about the three temptations of Jesus in the desert before he starts his ministry. What we see there is Jesus defeating Satan on his own behalf. What we see at the crucifixion is Jesus defeating Satan on our behalf. And what we see in the Great Commission is Jesus asking us to defeat Satan on behalf of others. and, and that's the progression, that's the ministry that he wants us to be uh, engaged in. Um, and we see that in Luke 9, uh, when Jesus had called 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons. Now, those words, those Greek words for power and authority, which is dunamis and exousia, are the same ones that appear in that famous passage, Ephesians 6, when Paul says, we're not up against um, flesh and blood, but against the principalities, powers, and authorities. So there's powers and authorities uh, on the dark side, and there's power and authority that's been given us Mm. um, on on the side of the Holy Spirit. Um, But it's not an even battle. It's not like equal power and equal authority, Mm. because Jesus gives us something extra that the enemy doesn't have. And that's victory. Mm. If we look at Luke 11, if you remember, that's the passage where um, people are accusing Jesus of working with the devil in order to cast out demons. Mm -hmm. And what Jesus says is, when a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away his armor in which the man trusted. Now, this is the same word that again shows up in Ephesians 6, where we're told to put on the armor of God. So Jesus is saying here, not only has do we put on his armor, but he has stripped the devil of his armor. Right. And not only that, but he's basically stripped him naked. Because if we look at Colossians uh, 2, um, this is what it says about the power of the cross and what's happened on the cross. It says, having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Um, And that language is pretty graphic. Now, I've put up on the screen this pretty confronting image of prisoners of war from World War II, because that is the language that Paul is using. It comes through in the message version much more strongly. That same Colossians 2 passage reads, he stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the image that Paul is using here is really of this utter and complete defeat mm-hmm. of Satan mm-hmm. where the prisoners of war are being paraded and humiliated. Mm. That's how absolute the victory 
uh, of Jesus is. Mm. And so if we understand that spiritual framework, mm. exorcism is is not a scary thing anymore. Mm. That that has that battle has been won. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the working out of that victory is what is given to us to to minister and to continue. Well, that makes it seem a whole lot more approachable. So if, I guess for the people watching, I mean, who is this relevant to? I mean, who would you say needs to consider going for deliverance? <clears throat> so potentially that's actually all of us. If you go okay. back to the image of the rats and the garbage, mm where the garbage was kind of all the emotional trauma and the baggage that we carry around with us. Potentially all of us have that kind of emotional garbage. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is telling, I think, that Jesus wants to set us free from that. If you remember, when he um, does his first sermon in the synagogue, mm. uh, his first formal act of ministry, in his ministry, um, you remember he's given the scroll of Isaiah and he reads from it. And the bit he reads is, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners Mm. and to release the oppressed. Mm. Here at the start of his ministry, he's talking about freedom for the captives. Mm. This is the kind of freedom he wants to bring us and to bring to to everyone. Mm. And we see that again um, at the end um, of his ministry, when, when he had to summarize, mm. why have you come? He mm. says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Mm-hmm. So that is that is the, the great beauty of life in Christ, mm. freedom from this emotional baggage mm-hmm. and, and full and abundant life. Mm-hmm. And so that's the promise that when we go for deliverance, whether mm. it's inner healing or inner healing plus exorcism, mm-hmm. it's that freedom that God means for us. Mm-hmm. So Jesus sees on his own life this this call to set the captives free but i mean what about us we, how do we know if if we've got the the calling on our lives to to be working in 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 this ministry of delivering people from from evil spirits yeah so again that's that's potentially all of us as as okay. i said at the beginning um when jesus sends out the 12 and then the 72 he gives them that task of preach, teach, Mm. heal, and cast out demons. Mm. So to me, that says that every beginning Christian, every basic Christian should have this as kind of ground level knowledge uh, in their faith. Mm. That doesn't mean that all of us are actively casting out demons because in in 1 Corinthians 12, in the list of gifts uh, that is listed there, it does say that some people have a particular gift of discerning spirits. Mm. So those are the people that are particularly suited to this ministry because mm. you want to be very sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit when you're trying to discern what is happening in the spiritual realm. So the way I make sense of that is to think of it um, as the, the difference between first aid, paramedics, and um, medicine. You mm-hmm. know, what we want is for everybody in society to be trained in first aid mm-hmm. because you never know when you will be the first one uh, you know, on arriving the on the mm-hmm. scene, mm-hmm. and you need to know how to do CPR mm. before handing somebody over to, to either to the paramedic or to the surgeon who can fix them up. Mm. Um, and so, I think this is basic knowledge that all of us need to be aware of, uh, because God may put us in a position where we're the first to recognize perhaps that there's spiritual forces at work here, or recognize demonic influences in somebody's life, or a pattern of generational. 
um, sins. Mm. And we need to tweak to that mm. and, and start that work to be able to then bring that person to a place where more experienced people can, can minister to them. Wow. Well, thank you, John. Um, if you're like me, you'll be listening to this talk and thinking, I am seeing so little of what God has in store for us in this ministry of victory over the, over the powers of darkness in the world. And uh, <clears throat> I would like to encourage you to, um, to take a step forward, um, to, to step into that victory which has already been won, as John was talking about. So we're going to finish with a prayer, and this is a prayer that dates back to the 2nd or 3rd century, I believe, mm-hmm. from the church of Tertullian. Uh, Tertullian and Basil. And Basil. Great theologians of the church. Um, and, uh, and so I'm going to read it, and the words will come up on the screen. I'd invite you um, to join with us to... Um, to, to read it along out loud, if you like, at home, and uh, and to declare that uh, that we are going to we're going to join in this victory. Let's pray. <clears throat> I renounce Satan and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God. I renounce the evil powers of this world, which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God. I renounce all sinful desires that draw me from the love of God. I turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as my saviour. I put my whole trust in his grace and love. I promise to follow and obey him as my Lord.